get these like strange moods. I'm a moody guy. Let me, let me go, and then if it comes up, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring it up. Um, we've been in this series, uh, Ruined to Renovation, for 21 weeks now. That's pretty good. And uh, last week, we started to address the issue of the body, the physical body, what, what we live in. Um, and we said that it was good, that it, was, it is created by the Lord, that it is created by God, and, it was, and that it is filled with desires and passions and feelings, all of which God created, and they are all good. And they're not in them of themselves sinful or wrong or bad at all. But they can lead us into sin. They can lead us away from the Lord. They can usurp the throne of life, so to speak, and start to take over for us and, and lead us away from Christ they, and, until they are brought under the lordship of Jesus. And, and that's what we're, we've been speaking about this whole time. We said last week that we, we train and we condition our bodies, don't we? And we really do. We, we, we train and condition our bodies by how we live and what we feed it and what we give it. And that is all tied to our passions and our desires and, um, you know, that create false needs in us. Uh, things that we think we need that aren't really that good for us. And they are contrary to the life of Christ in our bodies. Um, therefore, at times, uh, the body becomes problematic, um, problematic, problematic in that it's already conditioned in habitual ways, which, wait a minute, that's you. My son Tanner keeps texting me from back there. He keeps beefing. And I just looked over, I saw him smile, I'm like, that's him. Anyway, um, but, <laughs> but therefore at times the body becomes problematic in that it's already conditioned in habitual ways uh, which need to be submitted, right? Be submitted and therefore transformed in Christ as we walk this journey of faith out with Him. And um, so we are called to live responsibly in our bodies for the glory of Christ and for the betterment of everybody else around us and the betterment of ourselves. And if we look at, we're going to read a lot of Scripture this morning. It's like pretty much this whole thing is Scripture. But uh, if we look at Colossians 3, it'll give us some sort of like groundwork to, in this discussion of what I would call body stewardship, you know, taking care of the body well, living in the body well. Uh, Paul writes, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, seated at, uh, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now remember, baptism is a symbol of that, Right? That we're, when you're immersed in the water, you go down into the grave and you come back out washed and clean as a result of what Christ has done for you, right? So, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. That is a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality that a lot of times I don't think we really kind of own and, and understand. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Remember how Christ went to the grave and he came out of the grave in bodily form and, and, and Thomas stuck his finger in his side, you know, and he said, give me some fish to eat. I'm hungry, you know. And um, I always remember I used it before that far side cartoon where Jesus is standing there making something to eat and he's like, man, I'm hungry. You know, after being in the grave three days, you'd be hungry, right? Um, 
But it, 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 the, the gospel is a very bodily, physical thing. And remember last week we talked about how bodily and physical it is. And the New Testament writers were very intentional about saying that Jesus came in, in the body, right? For the, you know, in battle against all the Gnostic thought being thrown around at the time. So our bodies uh, follow the mind into whatever we set our will upon, right? Our bodies follow suit. Scripture speaks of our future resurrected, glorified, perfected bodies, something that we haven't seen yet, and we can't fully imagine what that's going to look like. Um, But we know that God values our physical bodies. He created our physical bodies. He loves our physical bodies. And what we do in our physical body matters. matters very much. Very, very much. And He's recreating the heavens and the earth which are a, we are a physical part, and He is going to recreate our physical bodies. That's something we don't really fully understand. But He continues in Colossians to direct us to, uh, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. Now, I want to stop there for a moment, and I want to read you a little bit from a book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Um, These are just some snippets that I thought were important to bring up this morning. But it says, In ancient Greek and Roman culture, it was widely accepted that husbands... We're looking around for kids in here. There's no really... Little babies, that's that's good. Tanner's the youngest. Um, He's heard all this. But um, in Greek and Roman culture, it was widely accepted that husbands would have sex with mistresses concubines, slaves, and prostitutes, both male and female, right? You think that the whole progression towards homosexuality and that freedom and that behavior is new? It's not new. It is something that is old and happens all the time. It it just keeps going on. Um, Male and female. Uh, An ancient Athenian saying was that wives were for legal heirs, prostitutes are for pleasure, Right? So uh, she continues, uh, she says, In Roman culture, sexual violence against poor and powerless women was widely accepted because they were regarded as social non-persons. They were not thought to have any legal rights uh, that could be violated. Um, you think this doesn't happen today. I mean, I think we know it does, but it hap- when we lived in Indonesia, the, 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 in Islamic cultures, it is very much prevalent. All right, and my our our um, house helpers were very much considered just just like they would call them doormats. That's what they called them. They used the the Dutch term for doormat to refer to their house help. And and if you if you as the man of the house had sex with your 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 house help, it was very common, and it was kind of like expected that you would do that. All right, and I just got Facebook friend by my old held house helper who is now, I'm wondering, is involved in something because what they will do is they will take the women, uh, poor women from Indonesia and they will ship them to Saudi Arabia to be house help there, pay them a lot of money that they can send home. So it's a very attractive thing. But what they are putting them into is sexual slavery. It is disgusting. It's just all of it is disgusting. But she continues and says, In what other ways was Christianity attracted to women? In ancient culture, many marriages were not love-based. Spouses were selected with an eye to things like social status, property rights, and legal heirs. In sharp contrast, the New Testament taught men to love their wives 
as their own bodies. You've you got to understand how radical and how wonderful the gospel was in the first century, right? Um, it says the husband's headship was redefined as self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice, not lordship over, right? You've got to understand that. Uh, self-sacrifice is a model on Christ's sacrificial love. Men were not, abandoned, uh, not to abandon their wives through divorce. They were not to abuse their wives physically or emotionally. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Colossians 3.19 Husbands were positively commanded not to seek out, out, out slaves and prostitutes for sex, but instead to keep up regular sexual relations with their wives. In the first century and for, for a while after, many of the sermons preached from pulpits were against sleeping around with in both heterosexual and homosexual relationships outside of the marriage. I preach that kind of a sermon today, people get mad at me. But it is what the church believes and has believed for centuries and will continue to believe. All right. Um, To the shock of the ancient world, I just think she does so well at this. The New Testament taught that men, not just women, were to be faithful to their spouse. Think about it being a woman in that society. When we were in Indonesia, all the Muslim women would say, I want to marry a Christian man. The Christian men treat their wives well. They love them. They care for them. What a witness, right? Christianity stood out as radically different because it taught that a husband actually wrongs his wife by his adultery. And then she continues, Paul enjoyed a symmetry unheard of in pagan culture. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, he said. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Nothing like that had ever been said before. Nothing like that had ever been said before. To stress that he was describing an obligation, not an option in this passage, Paul Paul borrows legal language. The word used for marital duty normally refers to a debt of money. The word used for authority included state authority. The word for deprive normally meant to defraud or refuse payment. Paul did not care that in the ancient world men's sexual freedom was considered completely acceptable. Completely acceptable, by the way. In the church there was a new law. Men were called to sexual fidelity and exclusivity just as much as women were. Not, note that a woman was, given, was even given authority over her husband's body, an idea so radical that even today there are probably few who fully practice it. At a time when wives were considered legally the possession of their husbands, Paul's writings were radical. By elevating the status of women, they delivered a severe blow to the double standard that that was the the pre-Christian norm. And by keeping sex within marriage, the biblical ethic drove down the demand for abortion and infanticide, which was very, very prevalent. Children were born into families committed to loving and caring, caring for them. All right say all that because it is such a huge issue that we live in today. Sexual immorality. God gets to define what is sexually immoral. Not us, not me, not you, not any you know, university, any think tank, anything. 
God does. The scriptures do. The scriptures define what is sexually immoral and what is not sexually immoral. And that's where we go to for it. It is a revealed word of God to us from the outside coming into us. And we don't, we don't get to rewrite it or exclude any of it. It is what it is, right? So I, I just thought, wow, that she said that so well. But anyway, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, see, what you give yourself to, you worship, right? That's why it's idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Now, all these things we do in the body, right? We do it in the body. All these things that he just listed are unfit things for the, un, for the regenerate person. They're not at all glorifying to Jesus. They're not, they're, they're not healthy for us. They're not healthy for others when we do them. But the new self in Christ is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And that wording is very intentional. Like I said, it is the revealed word of God from the outside coming in. We are being renewed by that knowledge as God tells us how to live and, and, and gives us grace to try and work this out. That is how we are changed. We're changed by the knowledge of God's word to us, into his image, into his character. We take it on as we listen to what he says to us and we own it in our hearts. Paul gives us further directions in this, and he starts speaking in the positive now. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, like put it on, choose to take it on yourself, right? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We just sang that in the song. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What we do here on worship on Sunday mornings is a very physical, emotive thing that means something. It's a powerful thing. And when you can engage in it, you are actually connecting to God. You're actually connecting not only to God, but to each other. It's wonderful to come here to worship together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, great verse, good memory verse, uh, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you do everything you do in word and in deed, you do in the body, right? So what you do in the body matters. So we, we remember Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we, we've been circling around and hovering over for weeks now um, where we're, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and that is our true and proper worship, it says, which is what Colossians 3 speaks of doing. It's exactly what it speaks of doing, just with a little bit more detail than 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives us, Right? That we worship God by what we do with and in our bodies. So Paul tells, tells us in Romans 6, 8 through 14, he said, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We will. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. So something happened there. 
He conquered the power of sin and death through his death and resurrection, right? Death no longer has mastery over him, Paul says. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you move from death to life and you're living now for a different king, right? So Christ opened up the floodgate of power of something mystical that that allows us to live in victory in these areas uh, through his death and resurrection. We said last week that, that sin and Satan only have so much control over us as that we give them. As a result, Paul instructs us, he says, in the same way, and by, by the way, verses 11 and 12 here are great memory verses too. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, to do that, you have to agree with God on what sin is. All right? You have to. If you can't agree with God, might as well, you know, sleep in on Sunday mornings and go do something fun, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to be here if I was just being told something that I didn't really want to believe. Let's let's just be honest, right? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Wow, if you could practice that but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Act as, act as if you are what you really are in Christ, right? Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness, an instrument of what God is doing in the world, an instrument that, that, that is worthy to be called an ambassador of Christ, an instrument that is bringing about his kingdom more and more all around you, right? For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. This is not a, like the morality police, just the, the, the old pastor up here saying, rah, 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 be good. Now, that's not what it's about. It is something totally different. I hate watching movies where you see the pastor just like, and everybody's like, you know, it's the, pa- the pastor thinks that, but I don't really care. no. God is saying this. I, I, I mean, I, gosh, I, I, I'd much rather go make millions of dollars and do something fun. I mean, like, I'm not in this because of the money or for the prestige or anything like that. I am here because I'm called and convicted that this is what God is saying to all of us, right? We are not under law. We are under grace. I am free to make my mistakes and not to do this right. And I, I, I eat up more of God's grace than I did on the day of my salvation as I try to live this out well, right? God's grace every day. His mercy and His grace is new to me every day. See, all of these passages work together. It's not just that it says one thing over here and something opposite over there. All of these things work together. When you start like really getting into Scripture, when you start to realize all these things work together. Speaking, they're all speaking of the same things. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice in glorification and obedience and sacrifice to Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 But... We are in the interim time before Christ comes back and reestablishes everything and recreates everything to its fullest glory. And so we live in bodies that are bodies that are still sometimes conditioned to that which is unnatural for the regenerate person. And that's the rub. That's the struggle. That's where it gets tough. Right? So we need to be 
intentional in our submission to Jesus. But how do we do that? Right? How do we do that? Well, today I want to give you uh, a few practical steps to do this well. Firstly, Dallas Willard um, suggests two books that will help guide you along in this, and I'd add one more. And uh, is Julie here? Is Julie here? No. Julie's not here. Julie Cohen. I think she's at a... Oh, she's downstairs. You'll have to remind her. I quoted three female authors today. I just want to say that. I just want to say that. Julie is very concerned about that. So, um, and rightly, she should be. I'm not, I'm not making fun of Julie. Um, uh, three female authors. The first is Francis Ridley Havergal, and I've not read this book, but I just got it in the mail. I ordered it, and I trust Dallas Willard and his recommendations, but kept for the master's use, and it's just a way to, like, uh, discuss your body and your body for the glory of Christ. Uh, the second one is by Mar- Margaret Magdalene, uh, and it's called A Spiritual Checkup, Avoiding Mediocrity in the Christian Life. Now, this, is, this book's a little harder to get. You may not be able to get it if a bunch of people order it. Um, I, I did order it. It's coming to me, but I just haven't gotten it yet. So if you, wanna, if you find that you can't get it and you want to borrow it, by all means. Um, and thirdly is the book that I read from er- earlier, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Um, it's interesting, Nancy began her Christian journey on the theologically liberal side of the, of the coin, and she's consistently moved to the conservative, and I use the- liberal and conservative, I hate that term because there's no other term to use, but I'm just talking theologically liberal to a conser- uh, conservative uh, theological viewpoint so she's moved consistently over there so she, and, and i think she's moving rightly by the way that's what your pastor thinks um but this is a great uh, book in talking about how and she ref- references francis schaefer and how he he showed how modern man has separated the nature and the divine and how nature then eats up grace nature eats up, eats up the divine that that god like dies off right and what you know so she she talks about how we have really kind of done this, done this and that, that the body has become just this machine that we use for pleasure or, or whatever we want and we can throw things out. She, she goes through all the physical issues, uh, the hookup culture and abortion and sexual slavery and all that stuff. Really good book. I'm in the middle of it now. I'm reading it very slowly um, but because I'm reading a few things at the same time. But uh, anyway... But outside of those, there are some practical steps that I think that we can take. One, number one is um, take, the, take the time to prayerfully release your body to God. I don't know if you've ever done this. Some people, you know, like, that's why teaching is good because you, there's ideas that you just don't think of, right? So just prayerfully release your body to God. I, I've done this over, over the time of my walk uh, various times, and it really is helpful to me. But in, in the knowledge that your body is good, that it's integral to your spiritual formation, uh, that you're called to glorify Christ with it, take the time to prayerfully consecrate its members, right? Take the time to pray through that. Get quiet. Pray that the Holy Spirit will um, meet you and lead you in this this time, uh, this personal time of the Lord. Sit in a comfortable chair, lay down in a comfortable place, try not to fall asleep, that kind of thing. You might fall asleep though, but maybe that's good. But, um, but prayerfully, at that moment, get, it, get right, get ready, and then prayerfully offer up the different parts of your body, asking the Holy Spirit to establish Christ's lordship over them. Your eyes, right? 
One by one, all these different things. Your eyes, your, your, your tongue. James, remember what James said about the tongue? It's like this fire that burns up everything, right? Or it's like a rudder of a little ship. I remember I gave the, the sultan a Bible in the village and uh, this old man, and we're talking one day, and he starts talking about the tongue being a rudder of a ship. I'm like, where'd you, where'd you hear that? And he goes, this is that book you gave me, you know? And I, so he was reading it, and it was nice. But, um, but you know, it, and it's funny how you're, the physical things, your tongue takes on a spiritual aspect there, right? That your tongue is a physical thing, it's meat in your mouth, right? But it forms your words, which come from your thoughts, which come from your spirit, which come from your will, and all that kind of stuff. So it is very, it's a very, it, everything's tied. The physical body is important, right? So offer up all the parts of your body, one by one, your tongue, your eyes, your hands, what you do with your hands, your feet, where your feet lead you, your stomach, what it craves, your genitals, what they crave, right? Uh, your brain, what it thinks about, um, your lungs, you know, all that kind of stuff. Surrender every part in prayer, asking God to take charge of it in all ways. Maybe you're a three-pack-a-day smoker. Lay down. Offer up your lungs to the Lord. And say, God, I just want you to be king over my lungs. Right? Maybe, maybe you are a, a closet alcoholic. No shame. I mean, we all have our issues, Right? Lay down and offer that. Offer your liver up to the Lord. Offer your brain that that thinks, I want that drink so bad. Offer up your taste buds that start to salivate when you think about Maker's Mark whiskey. Right? I like Maker's Mark, by the way. (laughs) I don't drink really anymore, but I I did like Maker's Mark when I did drink. Um, But use, you know, take your time. Do this well. It's a prayerful exercise, and it's helpful. You, don't rush it. Use Scripture in the process. Uh, number two, uh, give, uh, give up idolizing your body. This is a big thing in, in, in modern culture. Idolizing your body comes out in one of two ways. One, we worry about it too much. We're hypochondriacs. We get sick, or you know, what, what's that little cough? You know, what's this or what's that? You, know, you worry about your health, you, all that kind of stuff. Number two, you're too, maybe you're too preoccupied with it in, in sort of self-aggrandizing ways. Maybe, maybe you go to the gym three hours a day so you look good for everybody, right? Maybe you're so concerned. I'm a little too much like this. I get a little concerned about my love handles here and my, my belly. And I, you know, I can't wait to go hiking this summer and shed 20 pounds and all that kind of stuff. I, I think about this a little bit too much and I have to give, give it up. It's not, I, I'm not sure that it's, I'm vain or, I, or if, I'm just being honest. I'm not sure if it's vain or it's just the culture always telling you this stuff. You know, women, you know, like you have a, I know that you have a big struggle with this. You say it. Who cares? God made you. You're lovely. You're wonderful. You are wonderful the way you are. Guys, you are wonderful and lovely the way you are. You don't have to be like the rock, you know? You don't have to be all that kind of stuff. Just don't, like that, that's how it comes out. But you've, you've given your body over to him if you did step one, right? Now trust him with it. Just trust him with it, right? Just trust him with it. Don't be over, overly concerned with it. Ask him what you, you know, that you would care for it in a healthy way, be concerned about it in a healthy way as it serves his kingdom, right? 
Prayerfully give up worrying about your body or the preoccupation with your body, you know, how it looks or how it performs and all that stuff. Ask you'd be concerned with it in a way that it, that it, that it serves God and serves others. I, I have a little bit of a struggle right now because I'm worried about getting old. I've noticed, I never thought I was get worried about that. I thought I would grow old gracefully, graciously or whatever you say. But I, I, I worry about it. I, I do. I hurt my rib at the <laughs> the picnic, the church picnic last week doing the slip and slide. Still, still not feeling too good. And I, that worries me. I'm like, oh, I'm getting old. I can't do the same things that I used to do. What if I can't backpack? You know, I worry about that. So I've got I've to give that up. Uh, number three, don't misuse your body, right? This means we don't use it as a source of selfish, sensual gratification, nor do we use it to dominate or control or manipulate others which we sometimes do, pray, pray you'd be able to give it over to the extent that addiction wouldn't take root in your physical being. See, pleasures aren't bad, but when pleasures become necessities, we call them addictions. When I need that drink, well, I need this or I need that, it's, an, it's becoming an addiction or it is an addiction. And that is when we have allowed ourselves to be controlled by our feelings and our desires, so much so that we are controlled by physical desires rather than Christ, right? And neither do we uh, intentionally use our bodies to tempt or to coerce someone else into sexual uh, misconduct or, or manipulate or, or, or be forceful or, or manipulate in violent ways. These are just not things that we do with our body. You know, we're not like, you know, if, if somebody's dressing a way that is very provocative, you gotta, it's not like we're all prudes here. Like, that's not the, the issue is the heart. Why do you feel the need to do that? Why do you feel the need to do that? Man or woman, right? Um, there, there's something in there that, that is between you and Jesus, right? So, um, Pray through those, the, the passages that we've used recently in sermons to get a better handle on this stuff, right? For instance, 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 13 through 15 says, The body, however, now listen to just this one verse is a killer. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So prayerfully regard your body in that light, the, 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 the spiritual reality of yourself. You're a member of Christ's body. That means doing with it healthy and good and right things in the light of scriptural teaching, right? And number four, realize that the body is, properly on, prop, is to be properly, on, I can't speak, properly honored and cared for. In other words, this idea of the Sabbath, which is something we could teach on for weeks and weeks and weeks, um, but very basically, although we as Christians work hard, I think we're called to work hard, and at times we work hard to the point of tiredness, uh, we don't consistently overwork our bodies. That's not what we do as Christians. Rather, we manage our time to give them the needed, healthy, methodical Sabbath rest that they need, right? Our minds and our bodies. We realize that peace comes to the body when it, it, it's at home in the rightness and power of God. That's a Dallas Willard quote, and I liked it, uh, which clu- includes resting in it really well, right? 
We work hard and we rest well. We're not lazy, but we're also not uh, whatever, you know, overworked. Um, we, we Workaholics, that's the word I was looking for. We don't overwork ourselves, but we care for the body in ways which are honoring to God. We don't let the allure of success or monetary gain drive our bodies into the ground and destroy or hinder our spiritual lives. Now, think about moms and dads. Think about this. It is increasingly becoming the norm that your kids are just stuck in every activity in the world without a rest, and they they hit the bed at night and just crash because they are exhausted. They don't have time to play, play in the grass and find a caterpillar and rest and sit in the sunshine. You know, and just sit and just think and just contemplate. They don't have that time. What if radically every Christian on this planet said, I'm not, I'm not going to send my kids to a baseball game on a Sunday and miss church because my kids need to be with the Lord and with the community of faith. What if that was a radical step that we took? Now, my kids have sometimes gone and done things on Sunday, but thankfully it's only been very sporadic. If it was a consistent thing, we would have said no. We would not allow our kids to go. And, and I'm, don't feel guilty if you choose otherwise. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But I am saying, I just think it's an important, like I see kids that are just running ragged. Slow down. Don't put them in everything. They don't need to be in everything. That's actually unhealthy, right? Sorry. A little opinionated this morning. <laughs> but that's, there, there's so much more we can say, that, but all that will get us on, off on the right foot. Now, I want to point out that Renovation of the Heart, uh, the book, the bigger book, has this daily devotional that some of you have been using. If you look in the very back, there's, uh, I think it's page one, uh, 179, Retreating. All right? This is a great, you can look and, and like have your own little personal retreat and pray through these things and do these, do these things. And he kind of gives a lot of good practical direction for that. And then he points out that there are different sections where you can focus your retreat on. And the section that is for uh, the body is, is chapter 37 through I think 41. All right. And, uh, and this, this releasing the body, chapter 39 is that prayer exercise, basically, that I told you about earlier. So use this. It's good stuff. I'm going to take this on my, uh, to the Colorado when I backpack, and I'm going to go through it every, every day. Amen. Um, but now we're going to celebrate something uh, very physical this morning, bodies ministering to bodies. We sent two bodies from our over to the Middle East recently to minister to other bodies. And uh, this is a very...